Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom here on this Wednesday. Uh, we're sorry if uh, this is coming to you a little bit later than usual. We uh, tried to initially record this with some new audio equipment and it didn't quite work out. So uh, we are on uh, take two of this podcast, but hopefully it will be as good as take one was as we look back on uh, this past weekend's game against Tulsa, which I think we thought was going to be a pretty easy game for Ohio State. We thought they were going to be able to take care of business early and be able to get those backups in the game in the second half. And as it turned out, Ohio State had a battle on its hands in this one. Ohio State uh, was in a one-score game in the fourth quarter, ultimately ended up winning the game 41-20, to 20, but was leading by just seven points with less than four minutes to go. So for a team that had just come off a loss against Oregon, a team that had a lot of concerns going into that game, I'm not sure they've quite been answered yet. No, definitely not. In fact, I think people, some people might, might even be more concerned coming off of that game because obviously Tulsa was a much inferior opponent to Oregon, who they lost to by seven points. It was obviously a mixed bag for the third straight week for Ohio State. There were some good things, freshman performances for Ohio State on both sides of the ball. Obviously, it's hard to start anywhere else besides Travion Henderson having 277 yards and three touchdowns, breaking Archie Griffin's record. That's a hard thing to do at Ohio State. It goes without saying. On defense, Cam Martinez had a big interception return and in his first action ever as a Buckeye. Tyleek Williams is a guy, as a true freshman, that made a huge sack late. So Ryan Day had a couple things to be upbeat about, but obviously when you give up almost 500 yards passing to Tulsa, which was not supposed to be a crazy good offense coming in, it's a sign that there are still some serious concerns defensively for Ohio State, even after making some big changes with Kerry Combs going up into the booth for the first time, Matt Barnes calling plays for the defense, and even playing with some of those defensive uh, formations with the safeties and the linebackers and things of that nature. Yeah, Ryan Day seemed upbeat after a game. He seemed upbeat when we talked to him on Tuesday, feeling like Ohio State saw signs of progress in that game. Like you mentioned, some noteworthy changes on that defensive side of the ball with Matt Barnes taking over play calling duties for what it sounds like will probably be the rest of the year. But was the defense actually better against Tulsa? I don't know. That's hard. It's hard for me to really buy into when you gave up over 500 yards of offense to Tulsa when they gave up more than twice as many passing yards to Tulsa than Tulsa had averaged in its first two games against UC Davis in Oklahoma state. They did do a better job stopping the run. That was their big issue in the first two weeks. And so credit there, but it almost feels like, okay, they made the adjustments they needed to stop the run and then it compromised for pass defense. So the question is, can this defense get to a point where it's able to play complete football, where it's able to stop teams against both the pass and the run? Because when Ohio State plays better opponents, that's probably what it's going to need to be able to consistently win football games. And so far, we just haven't seen that from this defense. There have been stretches, Dan, in this game against Tulsa. There were six straight drives in which Tulsa, Ohio State rather, did not allow Tulsa to score. They stopped him on six straight drives. At that point in the game, I was even thinking, man, it could be a story. You know, Ohio State defense making some, some big plays here and looking better than it had in the previous game. But then at the end of the game, 
once again, there were some big lapses that, that led to big plays and a few touchdowns, you know, to keep the game a one, a one score game in the fourth quarter there. Once again, it was a mixed bag. Like, like we said, the defense just hasn't been able to put it together for a whole game, even against Oregon late at Oregon. That was a talking point for Ryan day saying that the, the, the defense did give the offense a chance in that Oregon game with some huge, like three stops late in that game. In this game, the defense strung together six stops. 20 points is not a whole ton of points. So those kind of fundamental big picture kind of things you could see as being a positive for Ohio State. But clearly there are still issues. There's still things being worked out. The communication with with the the coaching staff, the players said it was good. But there are still some things that Ohio State's experimenting with and changing up a little bit as they try to reconfigure some things here going forward. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the Tulsa game, they only gave up two touchdowns, and one of those came on a short field after C.J. Stroud was, was sacked and fumbled the ball. And so the, the defense didn't give up a lot of long touchdown drives. They didn't give up a lot of big plays. It was just they, they couldn't get off the field easily on a lot of drives. I mean, you look at those first two drives of a game, I think they were 16 plays and 13 plays for, for Tulsa. And it just, you know, it felt like there were a lot of, you know, third down plays where Ohio State had the opportunity to get off the field and they were allowing – Tulsa to convert and that's something we've seen all season so far from this defense where when we're sitting there watching from a press box it almost feels like that defense it's like they're holding on for dear life every play and it's like you know there's not a whole lot of time from sitting there watching and it's third down and I go I'm really confident Ohio State's going to get off a field on this play like it just feels like they're always like one misstep away from allowing the offense to make the play that it needs to make. And we'll see if, if, if this defense can get to a point where those things aren't happening as often. But I think, you know, right now it, that defense is still very much a work in progress. Yeah, Dan, let's talk about the, some quarterback play here, because that's another big thing coming out of this game. Another big storyline, CJ Stroud, his worst performance of the season, statistically for sure, just 185 yards, 15 for 25. We saw once again, we saw some overthrows, some high balls, a big talking point. We, we were watching him in warmups. He was kind of favoring that shoulder that he had talked about after the Oregon game. Ryan Day admitted on Tuesday that that has been a, a conversation, you know, how much he should be throwing the ball practicing and whether or not, you know, Kyle McCord or, or Jack Miller should get, see time against Akron coming off of the Tulsa game. Some people would like to, some fans would like to see that just based on performance alone. Other people, think the shoulder injury should, you know, cause some other guys to get in there to, to give Stroud some relief. Growing pains are going to happen with a redshirt freshman that came into the season without having thrown a single pass before. I think that that's normal. I think CJ Stroud, we've talked about it before, did not have the easiest path into his career as a starter here at Ohio State, but some of the competition early on. This was definitely the, the game in which he struggled the most. So it's not like he's had a clear progression of better performances. However, we've still seen good enough things from him, and it still seems like Ryan Day wants to ride with him from for now. Yeah, it definitely seems like Ryan Day still wants to ride with C.J. Stroud for now. I, I think it's you know clear that he's committed to C.J. Stroud as his starting quarterback, and I know that that's not necessarily what all the fans want to hear right now because we haven't gotten a chance to see Kyle McCord play. We haven't gotten a chance to see Jack Miller play. It doesn't sound like we're going to get a chance to see Quinn Ewers play anytime soon because Ryan Day indicated on Tuesday that uh, he's 
you know, had some struggles with the transition to Ohio State after arriving in August and that, you know, he's just not getting enough reps right now to get up to speed, to be ready to play uh, in a game right now. But, you know, in terms of C.J. Stroud, to me, the biggest question that I have is just how injured is he? Because the growing pain should have been expected. You know, and I know the expectations are so high for Ohio State's quarterback that, you know, a lot of fans out there are already trying to write C.J. Stroud off. They're already ready to see someone else. To me, I think it's way too early to do that. Yeah, he's had some inconsistencies. Yeah, he's had some growing pains. But we've also seen some good signs from C.J. Stroud. I think there's still plenty of time for him to develop, to get better, to become a great quarterback for Ohio State. The big question I have is just how much is this shoulder injury affecting his play? How, how much is that shoulder injury a part of his struggles? Or is that mostly just inexperience? And if Ohio State continues to play C.J. Stroud without resting him, is that shoulder just going to get worse and worse? And is it going to affect him more and more over the course of a season? That's, that's the big question I have right now, because I think to commit to C.J. Stroud as the guy and just say, hey, he needs more time to, to work through these growing pains. We're going to continue to give him most of the reps because we want to see, we want to see him grow. We want to give him that opportunity to develop. I think that's totally valid on Ryan Day's part. I, I just think the question is, especially when you look at a game like this week against Akron, which really should be the easiest game of a season. I mean, Tulsa, I think, I don't think we gave Tulsa enough credit. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ohio state should have beaten Tulsa by more than it did. Ohio state should not have been in a four quarter battle with Tulsa, but Akron's a step below Tulsa. I mean, Akron's, as a team that's won one FBS game since 2019. This game, if this game is close in any way, that's a big problem for Ohio State. This game should not be close. So you would think, regardless, that we're going to see those backup quarterbacks finally get some playing time on Saturday. Ryan Day did say that's something he wants to do. I think it's something he needs to do because I think when you get into the Big Ten schedule, there's no guarantee that there's going to be a ton of opportunities, if any at all, for those guys to play. But my question going into this game really is, should C.J. Stroud even be playing at all? Because I mean, we could see it in warm-ups. Like, there were times when they were warming up for that Tulsa game where he wasn't even throwing at all, where he was just standing there watching Kyle McCord and, and Jack Miller. And so I think this is a real injury. I know that there's some fans, I think even one of the questions we got this week is, you know, that these injuries seem to manifest after poor throws. I don't think this is anything made up, anything CJ trying to make an excuse. I think he's probably being more honest about his shoulder than Ryan Day would like him to be. But I think this is something that's been lingering. I think it's probably been lingering back since August when we were at preseason camp and we were there and, and CJ Stroud basically Ryan Day basically said it was a rest day, but I think for those of us who were there, we could tell something was off by the fact that he threw for about one period and then went to go work with the trainers and didn't throw for the rest of the day. I think that was kind of our first sign that something could be up with CJ's shoulder. And, and I think what we've seen in the first three games of him, you know, continuing to, you know, 
favor that shoulder, rotate that shoulder. I think that's been an indication that uh, something is wrong there. And I think it's a valid question to wonder, should they rest CJ Stroud this week? Should, should he just not play this week, give Kyle McCord and Jack Miller the reps and allow CJ to get more healthy before they start Big Ten blood? Should is definitely one thing. I would say from based on what Ryan Day said on Tuesday, it definitely seems like CJ Stroud will play against Akron because he said the plan is still is for him to practice like normal this week, despite that shoulder injury. Obviously, if things got significantly worse, I don't think he would play, but it sounds like right now he will still start the game. It's kind of a catch-22 because CJ Stroud is still a guy that needs those reps in-game right now and needs to get a level of comfortability and some confidence coming off of three games in which he's received criticism for big time after this past one, but even all three games, he, he's had criticism after all of them. So I'm sure Ryan Day would love for CJ Stroud to have a performance in which he's universally praised putting up a big game and not seeing some of those mistakes made and able to get into a rhythm before they get into big 10 play. So I'm sure that's also rang, weighing on Ryan Day's mind. But like you said, guys like Kyle McCord and Jack Miller, this might be their only chance to actually play this season. And if they are needed down the line, these reps might be big for them. Now we talked about another guy, Quinn Ewers, don't think we're going to see him on Saturday. Do not think we're going to see him for the rest of the season. And, and it brings us to another interesting question here. In the, in the wake of Ryan Day saying this about Quinn Ewers, that his transition's been hard, that he's just not able to get the reps to, to even play the season. You know, what do we make of that? Does, does Twi- Quinn Ewers' early arrival basically just waste a year that the Buckeyes could have had him? Is it a net positive or a net negative with the Quinn Ewers situation overall. And Dan, I'm curious as to what your, your take is on that question. Yeah. I think for Ohio state, it's an, it's looking like a net negative right now. Cause I think if he's not going to play this year, then effectively it's, it's just a wasted year because he was already going to arrive in January. He was already going to be there for spring practices, which is when he really is going to have the opportunity to get the reps, to thrust himself into the quarterback competition And just based on the way Ryan Day talked on Tuesday, it just sounded like, you know, it's going to be hard for him to ever catch up this year. So where, you know, he can really start to climb the depth chart at all. And I think, you know, I I think that just makes it a tough spot because you look at it, you go into next year and you go, okay, now, you know, Quinn Ewers might be two out two two years away from going to the NFL and, he hasn't played yet. And so, you know, we'll see what happens there. I mean, again, I mean, you're talking about, okay, it's a year for him that's gone too. So, you know, now he'd be going into next year, regardless of what happens the rest of this season for Ohio state, he's probably a guy that would be facing an uphill battle to, you know, really thrust in for major playing time next year. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that situation all plays out. I think we'll have a lot more time to talk about that come January when, the off season begins, but it, it is certainly uh, interesting to hear what Ryan day had to say about that. You know, it's not what I predicted, you know, I'll give our, our Kyle Jones credit. He had said, you know, when I talked to him over the summer that he didn't think Quinn was going to play at all this year, but he thought, you know, it was going to be too uh, short a timetable of him coming in in August to be able to get up to speed and be ready to play this year. And I didn't agree with that. I, I thought, you know, they were going to definitely try to get Quinn on the field this year. And maybe they will. I mean, there's still time for things to change. I think the thing is, like we talked about, 
there's really no guaranteed opportunities here after this game as the season progresses for Ohio State to play its backups. And so I just don't know if that oppor- – even if Quinn can get more up to speed over the next couple of months, those opportunities just might not necessarily be there for, for him to factor into the equation. So I think, you know, for, for right now, certainly the fact of the matter is if, if any, you know, if CJ Stroud's injury gets worse or if anything else happens to him, the next man up is going to be either Kyle McCord or Jack Miller. I, I think it's probably Kyle McCord. We don't know that yet. Hopefully we'll find out on Saturday. One thing Randy was talking about when, when discussing those backup quarterbacks is, they have to actually earn the, the trust and confidence in the other offensive players at Ohio State. And you have guys like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, potential first round draft picks. And that's just kind of an interesting thing he said, because I think that that him saying that kind of signals that CJ Stroud has the, the confidence with those guys, at least coming out of pre fall camp and preseason, that those guys were feeling really good about CJ Stroud and the chemistry there. One kind of interesting note from the game is that Chris Olave actually had no catches in the game which seems crazy. He was coming off of a career high 12 catch performance against Oregon, getting a lot of targets, obviously, as he probably should. But just the fact that Chris Olave could have no catches in a game against Tulsa in which he played for most of the game is not a great sign for the kind of the chemistry or connection there between those two guys. I think that'll get sorted out for sure. I don't think we're going to see Chris Olave with many more games in which he doesn't have a catch. I mean, he probably should have had a couple catches anyway. He did have a big drop that rare to see a drop from Chris Olave and also another big 40 plus yard completion that was called back due to a penalty. Some other offensive notes I thought just off of the game, especially with what Ryan day talked about on Tuesday. I thought it was interesting, Dan, that, that Ryan day did not come out and confirm guarantee moving forward that Travion Henderson would for sure be the starting running back. However, that is how it seems to all of us after the game, Mayan Williams who had started the first two games did not play at all against Tulsa. Ryan Day said it was not due to injury, but he did miss a day of practice because he wasn't feeling well. And Master Teague did get some more carries and more time against Tulsa. What did you make of all of the running back situation? Yeah, I think that was mostly coach speak with him saying that Travion might not be the star the rest of the year. You know, I think Ryan Day, one thing that he's been talking about a lot recently is this whole, you know, things change from week to week and it's all about how you prepare during the week. And so I think they want to keep open that idea of, you know, everything's up for competition and you, you've got to constantly uh, compete to keep your job. And I think especially with a guy like Travion, who's just a true freshman, who's only played three games, they don't want to anoint him yet. They don't want to, you know, give him all the carries yet because he is still a freshman who's still developing. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if even on Saturday, if another running back was starting at the times of the year, other running backs were starting at that with that being said I think in in big games rest of the year Travion Henderson is going to be the guy who plays the most snaps Travion Henderson is going to be the guy who plays the most carries I think we all thought going into the year it was only a matter of time before Travion Henderson was going to be the best running back on this team I didn't think it was going to be three games I thought it was going to be later in the season before we saw him really emerge the way he did against Tulsa with that spectacular performance. But I think he's, he's clearly the most dynamic runner on the team, you know, and I, and the fact that he's, you know, starting a game and playing as much as he does tells you that they're pleased with the little things too, the pass blocking, uh, all of that. So 
I think he's clearly the number one running back at this point. I don't think that means he's going to take every carry. I think certainly Mayan Williams and or Master Teague is going to be involved in there as well. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out after what definitely surprised me seeing Master play over Mayan against Tulsa. I think both of those guys are going to continue to be involved in that rotation in some capacity, but I don't think there's any question that in the big games, Travion is going to be the guy who gets most of the carries because he, he just runs different than the other guys. I mean, he's just got that speed, that home run hitting ability. It's just at a different level than the other running backs on the team. Dan, let's talk about another part of that running game for Ohio State, a storyline that might be flying a little bit under the radar, the fact that Thayer Munford actually went down early in that Tulsa game. Matt Jones came in and filled his shoes nicely. He was actually the only start or not starting, but the only offensive lineman for Ohio State that actually earned a champion's grade for that game, which is pretty interesting considering the run game did put up huge numbers and CJ Stroud wasn't getting battered around a whole lot. So that was interesting to see that Matt Jones was, was the one guy there. And but with Thayer Munford, Ryan Day confirmed that it's not a long-term injury, but he didn't say anything else about that. So we really don't know what the situation is there. And Dan, it, that's not the only kind of high-profile injury that this Ohio State de- team on both sides of the ball is dealing with right now, is it? No, I mean, there's there's been quite a few injuries so far this year. We looked at the game against Tulsa. Thayer Munford left early. Zach Harrison didn't play. Taraja Mitchell didn't play. Obviously, Josh Proctor's out for the season. So I think that's something that's maybe been overlooked a little bit as we've talked about this team's struggles is that they haven't really had a fully healthy team. I mean, in every game, they've been without some key players. You know, Seven Banks missed the first couple of games. Cam Brown missed a game. You know, they've, they've had guys in and out of a lineup here so far to where we haven't seen this team at, at full strength yet. And, I mean, we're not going to necessarily ever see the full strength because Josh Proctor's already out for the season. You know, there's probably going to be other guys getting banged up week in and week out. But I think – in comparison to the last couple of years, it feels like they're dealing with a lot more on the injury front. I mean, obviously last year they had to deal with COVID, which was a whole different deal. But it seems like the last couple of years, they, they weren't dealing with as many injuries, especially early in the season as they are this year. And I think, you know, there's two ways to look at that. On, on one hand, it's like if they can get more healthy as the season progresses, you know, maybe we can see you know, more of what this team should be than what it's looked like right now. The other hand could be, well, injury luck just might not be on their side this year. And if these injuries keep piling up, that might prevent this team from becoming what it should be. So, you know, we'll see which way it goes there. I just think that's one thing that we shouldn't forget about. We shouldn't overlook when, you know, we're trying to diagnose what the issues are for this team is one issue is you look at a game on Saturday they named six captains before the season and only two of them were playing. So guys who are expected to play major roles for this team are not on the field right now. And that has an impact. Let's talk about some of those impacts with some of those injuries on defense in particular, Dan, instead of Josh Proctor, obviously Bryson Shaw started the Oregon game in place of Josh Proctor, who was a game time decision for that one with a shoulder injury. Since then, Ryan Day had said that they would work a couple guys at that free safety position, Bryson Shaw, chief among them, but also you still have Marcus Hooker at that position. He did not see any playing time against Tulsa. 
Ryan Watts, the 6'3 cornerback, they were going to switch him over to, to free safety. Obviously, he has the, the build to play that position for sure. He did not see any time in that position. Court Williams, you know, came into the season thinking he would be more of a bullet safety. But Ryan Day said that Court Williams also would get some time in free safety. None of those three got any time in free safety because Brian Shaw, Bryson Shaw, I should say, got every snap, 88 snaps the most on the team on defense which was definitely interesting, a vote of confidence for him, I would imagine, going forward, although it does still sound like, you know, there's possibility for other guys to see time at that position as well. Another injury situation leading to another young guy getting a chance would be with Zach Harrison going down. JTT played his most snaps of the season, 45 snaps, almost as many as Javante Jean-Baptiste at that defensive end position. And according to Larry Johnson on Tuesday, JTT might be seeing more time regardless of Zach Harrison coming back or not, because he said that they're going to start kind of phasing JTT's snaps up. He had 45, obviously on Saturday, like I said, but he could have 50 to 55 depending on the game moving forward. Yeah. Well, I think he should. Cause I think to me, he's been maybe their best defensive lineman so far. I've been really impressed by what we've seen from JTT in Molowau. So I think his snaps, should go up. And I think, you know, that defensive line, that's a, that's a part of his defense. that's clearly underperforming right now with only four sacks and three games. You look at all the talent they have on that defensive line. They have not been getting enough pressure. And that's a big reason why they gave up 428 passing yards on Saturday. So uh, I think that's an area that definitely has been underwhelming so far. You know, Larry Johnson, acknowledged that on Tuesday. He said, you know, we've got to be better. We've got to get more pressure on the quarterbacks. And I don't sleep well at night when we're not getting pressure on the quarterback. So he knows the expectations for his unit are very high. They're supposed to be a dominant unit. They're supposed to set the tone for his defense. And so far that hasn't happened. So I think you look at young guys like JT Tuimolo out know, Jack Sawyer. We haven't seen a ton of him yet. Maybe we'll see his role start to increase as well. Tyleek Williams, a guy who I think was a revelation in that Tulsa game, making a huge sack and I thought played really well, was actually the only defensive lineman to grade out as a champion in that game. So seeing some of those young guys get in there, that's big for the future of his defensive line. And I think Larry Johnson recognizes that if those guys emerge as the best players, they've got to play because, you know, we've been waiting on some of these veterans, guys like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith to, to really take that next step. And of course, Zach Harrison was hurt against Tulsa. You know, he did make a really big play in that first game, but we just aren't, we just haven't seen it yet from some of those top of the line guys. They just haven't taken that next step. You know, we, there's so much talk over years about, you know, the Chase Youngs and the Boses of the world that this defensive line has had. And those guys just haven't ascended to that level. So they've got to figure out the right combination of guys that's going to allow them to put the most possible pressure on opponents. Yeah, Dan, and another big thing with the defense here has been the linebacker play, of course, which has not garnered too many fans amongst the Ohio State fan base with guys like Tommy Eichenberg. Cody Simon obviously started this game with Taraja Mitchell being out with injury. As we roll into some questions here from the forum posters, Gin and Juice, says, why is Eichenberg a thing? Is Al Washington on the hot seat? Why is Eichenberg getting 50-plus snaps with little to no production? That question came from Action Stanley Jackson. 
What say you, Dan, on that topic? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, if he's getting that many snaps, he's a guy that the coaches believe is one of their best linebackers. And you know, he did not have any tackles, as you pointed out to me, Griffin, against Tulsa. And so I certainly understand where the consternation is coming from, from the fans there. But, you know, he did play 53 snaps against Tulsa and he did have one pass breakup, but really didn't make uh, many plays out of him that. So I, I get it. I think my question is, if you're questioning why he's playing, is who are the guys that really should be playing? Because I don't know that we've seen anybody from that linebacker group really stand out so far this year. And part of that is because they're rotating like crazy at that position, and that makes it harder for you know anyone to really get into a rhythm and stand out. I do think Cody Simon has played well. He made his first start against Tulsa. He's a guy who I would think would probably uh, be a candidate to be a permanent addition to the starting lineup going forward. I think to Roger Mitchell, when he gets healthy, is going to be back in that starting lineup. Not that I think he's necessarily been spectacular the first couple of games, but he is a captain. He is a guy that's supposed to be the leader of that group. But I, I just think, you know, that whole group, you know, it's not just Tommy Eichenberg. A lot of people are singling him out, but it's not just Tommy Eichenberg. They need multiple guys in that group to really step up. Again, whether that's, you know, Taraja Mitchell's the guy that it's supposed to be, but it could be Cody Simon. It could be Kayvon Pope, whose playing time we've seen increase. It could be Steel Chambers, who despite the fact that he made that position change in the summer, has played in all three of the first games. It could be Palian Ateote, who we've only seen play a couple snaps so far, but you'd have to think him coming in, transferring from USC, they wouldn't have brought him in just to play one snap a game. And so you'd have to think, his role could increase here at some point. And so I think they're going to continue to rotate. I think they're going to continue to experiment uh, with different combinations of that position, at least for the next couple of weeks. I think ideally, as you get into this second half of the season and you start getting into the heart of conference play, I think they need to, they really do need to figure out who their best linebackers are. And I don't know if Tommy Eichenberg is one of those guys. I think it, it certainly could be other guys, but you know, one way or another, they need a couple of guys to step up at that position. They need to figure out who their best guys are, because I think, you know, I know one of our other questions, I think called them, you know, hockey line rotations they've had there at that linebacker position. I don't think that's really working out well for anybody. I think they need more consistency, more of a consistent rotation at, at those positions. And to get in Juice's other question, I, I do think for Al Washington, but I think you know, there are questions that have to be asked of him if the linebacker play doesn't improve because he's a guy that's now in his third year as linebackers coach. You Again, a lot of these guys like Taraja Mitchell and Kayvon Pope and Dallas Gant and Tommy Eichenberg, these are guys who have been there for his entire tenure as linebackers coach. And so those guys with three or four years of development now they're supposed to be ready to lead this group. And right now it doesn't quite look like they are. And so I do think uh, that reflects on Al Washington. You know, so much of uh, the blame for the defensive struggles has been positioned on Kerry Combs. But I, I do think for Al Washington, you know, I think there are lingering questions about him as a developer of talent. I think, you know, we're seeing that he can recruit talent. 
but now it's a matter of how well can he develop guys. And this is really his biggest test yet because the first couple years, it was guys that he inherited. Now, granted, I do think he played a part in helping guys like Pete Werner and Tuff Borland and Baron Browning and Justin Hilliard become better players. But I also think Greg Madison played a part in that too. Greg Madison's no longer there. Al Washington's now the sole linebackers coach, and he's working with a group of guys who are very inexperienced. And so I think how those linebackers continue to develop over the course of a season is going to say a lot about Al Washington as a coach. And, and, you know, in terms of a hot seat, you know, I don't think he's on the hot seat yet, but I do think that if this defense doesn't improve over the course of a season, Ryan Day is going to have to make some staff changes. And certainly if linebacker play continues to be a problem, that could be one of those changes. And from a media perspective, we talked about it. We've talked about it before. I think it would be great to hear from a guy like Al Washington right now. Is he on the hot seat? It's an interesting question because I actually haven't seen anyone really saying that until uh, Ginn and Juice's question here. And, and maybe I've just not been deep into the weeds in, in the forum on 11 Warriors. And maybe there is more of that uh, sentiment out there. I haven't necessarily seen it. It would be great to talk to Al Washington, get his input on some of the lineup changes and whatnot. And like we, we've talked about before, I mean, we haven't actually heard from Al Washington since a guy like Tommy Eichenberg was named a starter for Ohio State. So it would be interesting to hear from him what he what makes him a surefire starter for that team in his eyes. I think a guy that fans are definitely clamoring to see play more would definitely be Paulier Nayuteote. I think people really want to see him play because of his recruiting status, because of the hype of him coming over as a UC transfer. But the reality is kind of like you talked about, I think guys are going to have to just gain some experience, learn from their mistakes and get better that way. However, it's not like we've seen Al Washington afraid to, to cut people's you know, snap counts because a guy like Dallas Gant in the first game played a lot. He barely played. He only played one snap, I think, against Tulsa. So there definitely could, could be changes, but I think we're probably going to see a lot more of Tommy Eichenberg, at least in the, in the near future, I would imagine. Jerry Emig, if you're listening, Griffin is requesting. Uh, an interview with Al Washington. Uh, we'd love to talk to Matt Barnes, the new defensive play caller as well. So uh, feel free to take that into consideration with uh, interview opportunities that could be coming up in future weeks. To get to another question from Ziploc007, he asks, with eight game left in the Big Ten season, what are the honest expectations? It seems we can expect a lot of games like the 2018 Maryland game, give up lots of points to a mediocre team and just got to outscore them. Well, my perspective on that question is I do think there's going to be a lot of competitive games, but the reason why I think that isn't necessarily that I think Ohio State can't beat mediocre teams. It's that I think a lot of teams in the Big Ten are showing that they're a lot better than mediocre right now. I mean, you just look at the teams on Ohio State schedule I mean, Penn State's playing really good football right now. Michigan's off to a really good start to the year. Michigan State is off to a really good start to the year. And then I think even teams like Maryland, you know, Indiana doesn't have the same mojo that it did last year, but I still think that's a team that can be dangerous with Ohio State going to play them in Bloomington. Even Rutgers in two weeks. I mean, Rutgers certainly shouldn't beat Ohio State, but this is not the same Rutgers team from a couple of years ago. Rutgers is 
three and zero right now. I think Greg Schiano's got some things working there. I mean, even that game, if Ohio State plays the way it's played so far this year, that game has the potential to be competitive, to be dangerous for Ohio State. So I do think there's going to be a lot of competitive games coming up. You know, certainly, you know, like Ziploc said, if the defense doesn't improve, I do think there's going to be a lot of shootouts in this team's future. And so the offense is really going to need to be clicking. They're going to need to be efficient in, in finishing off drives. Certainly, I think you know, they need the defense to improve too, because the reality is they, they don't have Justin Fields anymore. And that's not even a shot at CJ Stroud. It's just the fact that Justin Fields was spectacular. And I think the last couple years, they were more built to outscore when their defense struggled than they might be right now because CJ Stroud is still a work in progress at that quarterback position. And so I think it's going to be a, a challenging season ahead. You know, as I said last week, I still think, you know, some of the concerns of, from fans are kind of overblown when I see fans going, Oh, we're going to go eight and four, seven and five and six and six. I mean, Ohio state is a really talented team. And so if that happens, that would be a huge disappointment. I still think every team on the regular season schedule if I was picking Ohio State to win those games in a vacuum, I might pick Ohio State to win every one. I think the question is, can Ohio State beat all of those teams? When we're looking at what I think after this week's game against Akron, I think most of a regular season, I think most of those games are going to be competitive. Can Ohio State find a way to win all of them? Because that's really what they need to do if they're going to make the college football playoff. And I think that is going to be challenging for this team. I think, I think there's going to be enough competitive games that for me to honestly sit here and say right now that I think Ohio State is going to run the table the rest of a regular season and make the college ball playoff. I don't think I can say that right now. I, it's not, that's not to say that I, I'm taking it off the table or that I think it's impossible because I still think Ohio State is one of the most talented teams in the country. And if everything can all come together, then I think it's possible. But my honest expectations right now is I'd have to, I'd have to say that I'd probably pick this team to lose another game here at some point in the regular season. I still think they can win the big 10, but I think the challenge is when you're in this four team playoff format, you lose one game. You don't have any margin for error for the rest of the season. And I think this team certainly is going to have to get better if they're going to run the table the rest of the way. Needless to say, the defensive improvements will be chief among those improvements that you're referring to there, Dan, yes. if Ohio State is going to run the table the rest of the way. A couple questions about the defense that we can kind of roll into one here. One of them from Bartholomew is, why would you move somebody up into the box to not call plays? Obviously, in reference to Kerry Combs, and Logomaniac also asks, are we still blaming Kerry Combs for the defense considering he had his nose in the corner while someone else called the defense that gave up 430 yards in the air to unbeaten Tulsa? It's a really interesting question, Dan, because we really do not know right now what Kerry Combs' defensive responsibilities are because they've obviously been stripped back somewhat with Matt Barnes calling the plays. Larry Johnson told us on Tuesday that he is making the game plans or, or something like that. We really don't know what Kerry Combs, how much power has been taken from Kerry Combs, 
what exactly his role is right now, what it will be moving forward, and how much you know responsibility he should kind of shoulder if he isn't calling those plays. I know you were saying yesterday that you believe it's it's still on Kerry Combs because he still is the defensive coordinator, whether or not he is calling plays for the Ohio State defense. Well, that's the job he's being paid to do, right? And the reality is, while you know, there might have been some fan fiction out there about the idea that Ohio State could pull a defensive coordinator off the street and bring them in to coach midseason, the truth is that's not realistic. Like you can't you can't just bring in a coach who hasn't been around the team all year to start coordinating the defense in week four. That's not going to happen. So they they have to figure out what works with the guys they have, and I think. Right now, the, the determination has been Kerry Combs calling in the defensive plays isn't what works. So that's why they've given that responsibility to Matt Barnes. He said Larry Johnson's certainly a guy who's playing an integral role. They all have to play a role because they only have four full-time defensive coaches. So between Kerry Combs and Al Washington, Matt Barnes, Larry Johnson, they all have to play a role. You know, Paul Rhodes has to play a role as an analyst. Parker Fleming, he helps out with the defense. He has to play a role. I still think if, if the defense fails this year, if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, ultimately the guy who bears the most responsibility for that is Kerry Combs. Is because Kerry Combs is the defensive coordinator in title. That's the job he's supposed to do. Matt Barnes is basically being asked to do a role above his pay grade because Kerry Combs wasn't getting the job done. So I still think it ultimately falls on Kerry Combs at the end of the day for this defense to, to get better. It falls on Ryan Day too, because Ryan Day is the one who made the decision to not only hire Kerry Combs as Jeff Halfley's replacement two years ago, but to not replace Greg Madison this year and to make Kerry Combs the sole defensive coordinator. So he has to bear responsibility for that too. And ultimately he's the one who's going to have to decide after the season, what changes need to be made. Cause I think barring a massive turnaround, there's certainly going to be some changes here in, in terms of, of the defensive staff, he's going to have to determine, you know, what those things are. But I think for the rest of the season, it, it just becomes a group effort of trying to figure out how to salvage this defense as, as best as possible. And so I think they're all responsible for it, but I don't look at Saturday's game and go, I shift the blame onto Matt Barnes or anyone else because Gary Combs is the defensive coordinator. Like it's his job. He's being paid 1.4 million to do that job. Even if he's not calling the plays, he's still got to do his job. He's still got to, he's still got to be responsible for, for making this defense better. Like you said, Bo Griffin, the question is, I, I just don't know exactly what Kerry Combs is doing right now because Ryan Day didn't really answer that question when he was asked about it. He just kind of said, Kerry's a professional. He's still a big part of his defense. He just wants to help the team win. But he hasn't really specified what Kerry Combs' role is. And it's, it, it's interesting that they made this decision to – lessen his responsibilities and move him up to the box because you think back when Jeff Halfley was at Ohio state a couple years ago, he was coaching from the box as defensive coordinator. And that seemingly worked very well. 
And then when you think about Kerry Combs, the things that he's really known for is his hands-on coaching ability and his energy that he brings. You can't really bring those things from the press box. So it's hard to say exactly what Gary Combs is doing right now, what exactly his value is in that role and why exactly it makes sense for Matt Barnes to move down to the field just because he's calling plays. I think a lot of that's a communication thing. I think they want a guy, you know, who's down there on the field who can, you know, really relay those things directly to the players rather than through a headset to somebody else. But it's, it's, it's still a little bit unclear about why exactly these moves have been made the way they are. Ultimately, the results are going to tell the story, right? I mean, ultimately what matters is the end of the day is can this current coaching structure get better results? And after giving up 500 yards to Tulsa, that still needs to be seen. Two questions here about something we touched on a little bit before, which is the Thayer Munford situation and the Matt Jones situation. Uh, Silver Sniper asks, did you notice the run game picked up once they put a true guard on the interior O-line when Munford went out, or is that just a coincidence? Also, I survived Cooper asks, what are the chances to keep Munford out to heal his ankle or move him back to tackle and put Matt Jones in at guard again, at least for this game against Akron? First of all, I'll say I, I think that Munford will probably not play against Akron in general because you really don't need him to play. And even if his ankle situation or injury situation is not long-term, like Ryan Day said, I still believe that there's no real reason to keep him in there. I mean, he has so much experience already even if he is kind of at that new position there at guard this season, there's still no reason for him to play. Did I notice that the run game picked up once they put in Matt Jones? I'd have to go back and, and look, give it, give it a better look to, to, to kind of see if that move made a huge difference in the run game. I know we talked a little bit about before this lineup with all these natural tackles playing, it is kind of an experimental thing for Ohio State. It is a thing that, you know, they started doing in the preseason but it's not like all those guys have a ton of experience playing together and playing at those guard positions. So it's definitely possible that those guys have to make an adjustment here. They're adjusting on the fly to, to the, to a new position playing guard. And especially with Harry Miller also being out at center, Luke Whipler being a first time starter as, as just a redshirt freshman. Those are all kind of things that have to, to meld together for the offensive line. But I still think they've been pretty, pretty darn good here starting off the season. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I would say that, you know, the offensive line has been uh, this four tackle offensive line has been a weakness or anything. I know that there were some, you know, questions about uh, the unit's effectiveness as a, a run blocking unit against Oregon. They were better against Tulsa. I don't know if that's necessarily as much of the, the position change there of, of Matthew Jones coming into Fayer Munford as much as it was you know, going against Tulsa versus Oregon. But I do think Matthew Jones played really well. I think Matthew Jones deserves a lot of credit uh, for how well he stepped in there. And I do think it's valid, especially, you know, I'm going to guess that Thayer Munford probably won't play this week and that, you know, Matthew Jones will probably get the start against, at at least for this week, against Akron. So I do think it's valid to ask the question if Matthew Jones keeps playing well. Hey, is Matthew Jones one of our five guys, best five guys, and should we maybe move Fayer Munford back out to tackle? Maybe that works out better for us. You know, I think I think both Nicholas Petit Frere and Dewan Jones have played well. And so I don't 
I don't necessarily view it as the moves that they made were a, a mistake, but you know, I, I, it is, you know, I do think that, you know, somebody who's had some experience at guard could be uh, better in the run game uh, at guard than somebody who who's a tackle playing that position. And so, you know, we'll see if Matthew Jones continues uh, to play as well as he did against Tulsa. I think, you know, the thing you could say about Matthew Jones is the last couple of years, every time they've asked him to have to step in, he's been able to do it. And we, we you know, we've seen him, you know, him not have those opportunities to consistently start. Ryan Day mentioned on his radio show on Monday that Matthew Jones could have complained about the fact that he wasn't a starter, but he stayed the course. He, he's continued to work hard. And when he's gotten his opportunities, he's played well. So we'll f- see how things continue to shake out there on the offensive line as the season progresses. But you got to give Matthew Jones a lot of credit for how, how he stepped in there against Tulsa. And I do think that if he continues to play well, it's certainly worth having a conversation about whether things should be reconfigured so that Matthew Jones remains in that lineup. Yeah, I think we've got to react to some breaking news on the fly here. It won't be breaking probably by the time we get this podcast out to you, but Dallas Gant reports are that Dallas Gant is in the transfer portal. We touched on him earlier. He played just one snap against Tulsa. He was a guy that coming into the season, a lot of, at least in the spring, people thought that this was going to be a starting linebacker for Ohio state. He did play a lot against Minnesota. There were some plays he couldn't quite make some tackles. He missed in that game, a big, roughing the passer penalty that wiped out a Josh Proctor interception in that game. I think a lot of people were kind of down on his performance after that game. And now he's out, Dan. He is, he's hitting the road. He's hitting the transfer portal, which shouldn't be a huge surprise, honestly, because this is a senior we're talking about here. This was supposed to be the, the season in which he gets his chance after waiting several years in the program. And it doesn't appear like he's getting it moving forward. And, and now he's in the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he only played one snap in the game against Tulsa, I think he played just five snaps against Oregon. We had seen his playing time steadily decline from each game. And so probably the best move for him. You know, I think certainly things were trending in the wrong direction there. And you know, you talk about a guy who's had to wait his turn, who had to wait his turn for the last three years uh, to finally get his chance to play and then gets his chance to play. And, you know, I, I think the first game, against Minnesota was kind of an up and down game for him. And I think that's probably why his playing time has been cut over the last two games. And, you know, we just, we talked about it earlier. Ohio state's got to find the best guys at linebacker right now. I don't think Dallas Gantt was trending toward being one of those guys. And so probably the best move for him to move on. And, you know, you never like losing a veteran guy depth at a position, but, I also think they've got the fact that they've been rotating so many guys probably isn't what's best for them defensively. And so I think if he wants to move on, I would imagine Ohio state uh, just wishes him well. And it's one less guy that they've got to think about in terms of how they're going to rotate at that position. Yeah. We talked about not knowing, you know, who the solution is at linebacker for Ohio state, but they still do have guys like a Dallas Gann or a Kayvon Pope seniors that weren't getting time, like guys that could be playing, but that weren't necessarily earning big reps at those positions. And so I think for Dallas Gann, I mean, that decision kind of had to be made. He, he, it can't feel good to, to wait years, think that you're going to get this big chance, get a lot of playing time in the first game. And then suddenly your senior season, your snaps are getting slashed. So 
I definitely think for him, yeah, like you said, that it was definitely the right decision and kind of one less guy that Al Washington won't have to figure out how to get snaps now at that position. Another guy, Dan, that probably could physically play linebacker <laughs> in terms of how he looks is, of course, running back Master Teague for Ohio State. We've got a question here from Codizzi asking us, could Master Teague essentially return kickoffs for Ohio State? Would it look like a demolition derby or a track race? And can we please imagine this together? What is your reaction to that visual, Dan? Well, it is a fun visual to think about. You look at a guy at Master Teague who's just massive. I mean, he's just built like a, a Greek god out there at running back. And he's also a guy that's got really good straight line speed. So you do, you think about the possibility of him, you know, getting, catching that ball deep, getting ahead of steam, uh, running down the field. He's a guy who, who could be intimidating coming at you if you're on a kickoff coverage team. He's a guy who uh, could be tough to tackle there. I, I think the deterrent toward making him a lead kickoff returner would be the fact that he's not a guy who really makes people miss. And typically something you want in that kickoff returner position is a guy who, who can make defenders miss in open space. And I like what we've seen from Emeka Buka in that role over the last couple of games. I think, I think Emeka Buka has shown some good things. He had a 36 yard return in the game against Tulsa. And so I think Emeka Buka is doing just fine as the lead kickoff returner right now. And I think he's probably going to continue to play in that role. I do think the possibility of putting Master Teague somewhere on the kickoff return team, you know, we've seen Xavier Johnson be that secondary guy. Steel Chambers is another guy who, who's back there as, as one of the lead blockers on the kickoff return, re- return team. Both of them actually fielded kickoffs against Tulsa. So I think the possibility of putting Master Teague in one of those roles where, you know, he might field some kickoffs and, you know, have some opportunity to do some things with the ball in his hands. I think that would make a lot of sense. I wouldn't put him in that lead kickoff returner role, but I do think, especially now that Master's not getting as much playing time as we might have fought on offense, if you want to find a way to, to get him involved a little bit more, that could make some sense. Dan, the past four recruiting classes for Ohio State, this is a question from Rascal here from the forum. Has anyone discussed the past four recruiting classes? What is left of the 2018 class? The 2019 class was a year where Ohio State dropped in the rankings to 14th, kind of a down year for them. Not really terrible, but but down from recent classes. That leaves us with 2020 and 2021. He says we need to play these freshmen. Obviously, there are more issues than just that, but it is an issue that is overlooked. We actually looked at those 2018 and 2019 recruiting classes kind of in detail yesterday when we were recording the the first uh, draft of this, this podcast in the studio. And it is very interesting to see how a lot of kind of the, the heavy hitters in those 2018 and 2019 recruiting classes have not necessarily been these surefire home runs that I think a lot of people assumed they might be. Particularly in the 2019 class, we were saying Garrett Wilson is, is the one real smash success right now for Ohio State. And the second one right now, in terms of who's playing on the field right now, making the biggest plays, it might be Ronnie Hickman. Zach Harrison obviously was the, the big crown jewel of that class. We talked about it earlier. We're still kind of waiting to see if he's really going to flash and become that next huge star. Harry Miller was another another five-star in that class. He's a guy that's had some success, had some struggles, hasn't played the first three games for Ohio State. What his role is down the line, we still don't know. So so what, what do you think, Dan, about that question in regards to those two classes in particular for Ohio State and not necessarily panning out 
as well as some people might have thought that they would have. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about it over the summer that, you know, those two classes in particular uh, were classes that still had a lot to prove. I think especially that 2018 class, you look at it, they, at the time, they were surpassed ultimately by this year's class. But that 2018 class at the time had the highest total composite score of any recruiting class in Ohio State history. And so far, that class just hasn't lived up to the hype. I mean, Chris Olave, who was actually one of the lowest ranked players in that class, has been a superstar. You know, Jeremy Rucker, Nicholas Petit-Frere. There's a couple other players in that class who have become great players for Ohio State. Tommy Togiai, the, the only guy who entered the NFL draft early from that class. Uh, he obviously was great last year, but there's still a lot of guys in that class on Ohio State's roster who haven't done a whole lot for the Buckeyes. And so I think, you know, those, some of those guys, you really need them to, to step up. And, you know, there's a few guys who have, you know, Matthew Jones, we just talked about, he, he came in and played really well at that left guard spot when they needed him this past weekend. You know, Cam Brown is off to a good start at that cornerback position, but they're just not getting a ton of production out of what was supposed to be a great class there. And then say, you know, 2019 class, that was a lower ranked class. It was a smaller class, but like you said, Garrett Wilson's really the only guy in that class who's become a, a star in that class. I mean, there's guys like Ronnie Hickman that are coming along, Dewan Jones, you know, then, you know, then you have some guys like, you know, Tommy Eichenberg and Bryson Shaw who are playing, but they're not necessarily playing great yet. And so I think you look at those two classes, that's really supposed to be your heart of the team. You know, those are your junior, senior classes. You know, some of them are redshirt, sophomore, redshirt, junior, but the point is those, those, that's supposed to be a heart of your team, those third and fourth year guys. And I just don't think they have quite enough in those classes right now. You know, it helps that you have a few of those, you know, super seniors like Haskell Garrett and Antoine Jackson and Thayer Munford to provide some reinforcements. And I think there's a lot of promising signs from the 2020 and 2021 class. A lot of young guys were seeing true freshmen like Denzel Burke and JT Tuimolowau and Travion Henderson, of course, Tyleek Williams, guys who are making an immediate impact in that second year class. You know, obviously CJ Stroud's still a work in progress, but you see guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba and you know, Paris Johnson, Cam Martinez, Lathan Ransom, Cody Simon, those guys get early playing time and make some plays. I think there's a lot to feel encouraged about with the future of this Ohio State team. You look forward to 2022, 2023 with what you've got in those young classes. But I think for them to be a, you know, Big Ten champion team, college ball playoff contender kind of team, I think they need more out of those junior and senior classes. Because you, know, you think back to two years ago, 2019, the big reason why that team was so good is because they had a ton of studs from that 2017 class, from Chase Young and J.K. Dobbins and Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade and Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis and, and Pete Warner and, and Bayer Munford is still here. There's, there were so many guys from that 2017 class who were making a big impact for that 2019 team. And, and that was huge. And I think right now out of that, that third year class, they're not getting that. And even out of that fourth year class that they're not getting as much as they need to be right now 
from those upper classes. Totally agree. And Dan, one of the last things here is we, is we start to wind down. If you were at the horseshoe on Saturday, which we of course were, there was definitely an elephant in the room in terms of attendance there, which was also announced over the speakers for us in the press box. The stands were not exactly uh, full to the brim where they did. There was only 76,000 odd people at the horseshoe, which was the lowest attendance for Ohio State since 1971. And it definitely seemed like the attendance was light. Now, what are the reasons why? I think a big reason for that was the Oregon loss kind of being a deflating thing for Ohio State fans, given that it was the first game back in two years at the at Ohio Stadium in which full fan attendance was allowed. And the fact that Ohio State lost in the, in the fashion in which they did probably kind of deflated some excitement on the season for people. And the fact that the matchup with Tulsa the following week was not the sexiest one. I personally think that we'll probably see less attendance this coming Saturday, because Akron, again, is not a sexy matchup for Ohio State. And it's also a night game, which maybe that could influence more people to show up or maybe less people will show up because Akron is just straight up not a not a prime time game, but it is in that prime time slot on Saturday. Yeah, Ohio State certainly has an attendance problem right now to to have only seventy six thousand five hundred forty people there. That was the lowest attendance since 1971 excluding last year of course when fans were not allowed to attend games that was the lowest attendance since they played Iowa 50 years ago so that was a shocking number I mean I I thought I definitely was not expecting 100,000 people for Tulsa I thought it might be somewhere in the 80s to hear 76,540 it wasn't shocking based on the fact that you know walking into the shoe on Saturday it was probably the quietest I've ever seen campus before a game. It, you know, there were a lot of empty seats. So I'll say this, it was an accurate number. I think there's been times in the past where you've heard attendance numbers from Ohio State. And then you look out in the stands and you go, really? Like they really had 100,000 people here today? I don't know, but I'd buy that. i buy the attendance number from Saturday. But like you said, I think most likely this is going to be at least a two-game trend because I don't think the excitement is going to be there, especially off of two lackluster performances for fans to come out for a 7.30 p.m. game against Akron. So I think it's definitely possible that attendance could be lower this week. I mean, I don't know that for sure. I mean, there will be people who are excited about a night game regardless of opponent. It also isn't going to be 90 degrees outside like it was during the Tulsa game. And I think that might have kept some people away because – there were, according to Ohio State, approximately 20,000 people who had tickets to the game against Tulsa that chose not to attend. So I, I do, I, I, you know, I, I am interested to see, you know, how it compares this week. I don't, I certainly don't think it's going to come anywhere close to 100,000 though. And I, and I think if it's, if it's a lower attendance, that would not surprise me. And it's going to be interesting to see if, if Ohio State can reverse this trend or if the days of Ohio State consistently drawing 100,000 people to Ohio Stadium are over. Because I think the trend was already going in the wrong direction before COVID. Certainly the fact that COVID is still a thing and you know, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, that doesn't help attendance matters right now 
you know, I think a lot of a lot of fans have brought up the point of ticket prices. I don't know that ticket prices are necessarily the factor that's led to decreased attendance because the prices are basically the same as they were a couple of years ago when Ohio State was consistently drawing 100,000. And the fact that 20,000 people had tickets and didn't show up means the tickets were bought. People just decided not to go. And so I think the fact that the team lost to Oregon and that an enthusiasm about the team was a bit down, that probably played a factor. I think the fact that they had major issues with scanning tickets and getting people into the game on time, that was probably a factor, whether it was people who were there the week before and decided, screw it, I don't want to deal with this for a game against Tulsa or people who read about what happened the week before and said, screw it. I don't want to deal with this for a game against Tulsa. I think there's a lot of different factors at play here as to why attendance was down against Tulsa, but it's definitely something that the Ohio state athletic department's got to figure out because you look in terms of revenue for the athletic department outside of TV money, the biggest driver of revenue for Ohio state is football ticket sales. And if attendance is way down, that means less revenue for the athletic department. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of strategies can they come up with to get more people coming to games? I think, I think there's a lot of things they have to consider. They all, they already have changed their ticketing model to go into effect next year where uh, the worst tickets basically are going to be lower priced and the better tickets are going to be higher priced. So I think certainly they're hoping in terms of those tickets that they typically have trouble selling, that they're going to be able to sell more of those because the ticket prices are going to be cheaper than they've been. But I also think they need to look at just the game day experience for people, because I think that's something that I hear a lot from fans too. I mean, you know, certainly I think the fact, again, that the issue with the scanners in the first game didn't help matters, but even just the game day experience, I think in a, world where people can watch the game on their HD TVs and the comfort of their own homes. I think it's becoming a harder sell for people to want to actually go to the games when they can just watch it at home. And so I think Ohio state has got to find ways to make the game day experience more appealing to at least the casual fan. You know, I think there's, there's always going to be your Ohio state diehards who want to go to as many games as possible but I think they've got to find a way to make it more appealing to the person who's on the fence about, do I actually want to go to the game or would I rather just watch it at home? They've got to come up with ways to enhance that game day experience so that more people actually want to go to the games. And I mean, when you have 20,000 tickets that are sold, but are being unused, I mean, that tells you right there that, that people are just not as motivated to come to the games as they used to be. Attendance predictions are one thing for Saturday's game, Dan. How about a score prediction for Ohio State, Akron, Ohio State? Are they a how how much are they favored by? About fifty three. They were favored by fifty three. I think the last I checked, they were favored by forty nine. But uh, either way, Ohio State a massive favorite against Akron. Do you have a score prediction ready, Dan, for this game, a night game at the Shoe, Ohio State, Akron? On Saturday, I'm going to go 59 to 17. 
I, I feel like Ohio State probably should be able to hold Akron to less than 17, but we've seen this defense have its issues. Uh, I also do believe this will be a game where we are going to see a lot of backups play in the second half. And so that can always, you know, lead to some scores for the other team can lead to the score being a little bit closer than it should be. But I do think Ohio State is going to comfortably take care of business in this game. I do think Akron is a worse team than, than Tulsa. And I think this is a game that should not be close. And so I'm going to go 59-17. I'm not going to go for cover. I think that's just that's just too big a number for me to say that I think Ohio State's going to carve a spread. They could. They could because there's a huge talent gap between these teams. But I'm not going to pick it. I'm going to go 59-17. I'm going to go 56-20, which I was initially thinking somewhere 14 points maybe for Akron. But I'm going to give them a 20. I think they might just slip on a banana peel and score some points against Ohio State. I'm a believer in quarterback DJ Irons. I'm, I'm carrying the flag, carrying the torch, if you will, for the Akron, the dual, the six foot six dual threat Akron quarterback. Akron does have some Big Ten transfer talent as well on both sides of the ball. Not that I'll, th- not that I think that's going to matter towards the final score at the end of the game. But still, I think Akron could make a couple plays on offense, given Ohio State's defense, and plus given the fact that you know if it is a, a big blowout early in the game, Ohio State could play. It's backups versus, you know, Akron's first stringers toward in the second half, and Akron might score some points in that type of situation as well. I still think it'll be a big blowout. I don't think they're going to cover. I'm going to say 56-20, but I wouldn't be surprised if Akron scored less points than that. I'll say that. Well, we will see how it goes on Saturday, 7.30 p.m. in the shoe. I don't know how many fans will be there, but we will be there to cover it all for you, and we will be back next week to talk about whatever we learn against Akron and look ahead to the return of conference play before Ohio state heads to Rutgers. So thank you for listening in and have a great rest of your week.